So in, in, in this course, I'm going to be kind of going back and forth between practical hands-on things in the garden and then spiritual applications. Um, and both are in the notes. So um, who was the first one? Adam? God, yeah. God, God was the first farmer. He planted a garden, he planted a garden eastward in Eden. <laughs> well, but there, there was, um, there was something, even before the curse. You know, in in Genesis two, it talks about them tilling. There, it says there, there was no man yet to till the ground. Uh, it, speaking of, of creation before the man was made and there was no man to till the ground and then God it says that God put Adam in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it so that tilling and keeping there was there was some role for that even before sin and um, I'm going to get into that in some of the later lessons because I, I you know when I when I first started farming my mind, you know, I appreciated the first chapters of Genesis, but when I started farming, my mind just went, it was like a magnet. It just kept going back to those first chapters. What does that mean? And, and, and it, it, they just suddenly started having more relevance to me than they'd ever had before. And so I, I just spent a lot of time pondering what, what was in these chapters and what does it mean for me? So, um, one thing I, I just want to mention that, um, you know, we mentioned in there that the, this concept of niche, you know, God, everything that God created had a, a particular place, um, you know, where it, where it functions best. So, you know, you mentioned you're growing cassava. Um, you all don't grow cassava down there, do you? <laughs> And why is that? Okay, so it's, that's not the niche for cassava, right? So, um, you know, and every, every plant has a, has a niche. Every creature has a niche where it performs best, where it lives best. And um, that, that niche is, it's not just a place. It's, it's, that niche has a lot to do with, with the connections, the relationships around it. Does that make sense? Um, I mean, every, everything that's growing in the ground is, has, has a relationship with the soil, with the microbes in the soil. It has a relationship with the, with the weather patterns you know, that, that that particular place has and um, with, the, with the seasons. And, and so there, there are all, and, and with the, the other plants and the other creatures that are surrounding it, you know, some creatures assist in, in pollinating, other creatures eat the, the plant, you know, but they're all in relationships. And so um, that's a, a niche is, the, the concept of niche encompasses this, this idea of all these relationships that, that are taking place. And, um, you know, so God, God created the whole, the whole creation um, is, 
is a creation of, of these relationships. You know, there's, there's systems and, and webs and networks in, in the whole creation. And I, as I started farming, I started seeing that. Before that, when I, when I thought about God's creation, I was just amazed at how detailed and intricately he created different things, you know, different creatures, how he created me, the, the eye, you know. But when I started farming, what, what even awes me more than, than the, the intricacies of those individual things is, is the intricacies of the relationships, how everything is connected. And, and God created it that way. You know, that was his purpose, that everything be connected. And um, it's, that's really amazing because they all worked, you know, when they're, when they're connected in the right way, they're working together for life. You know, each one is giving and taking something to the rest. And, and they're, they're all working together for life. Um, so God has, has, has given us, you know, as human beings, I believe that God had a niche for man when he created man. Can any of you guess what that niche might be? Pardon? The garden? <laughs> Yeah, but, but he, he, he placed him, the, the, the physical place that he put him and the relationships that he set him in was the garden. And, and he's part of that relationship. You know, God himself is part of those relationships um, because he's the sustainer of life. And, you know, so, uh, yeah, God, God had a niche for man. You know, a niche is where something performs best. And there, there's something in us, I believe, that, that really responds and, and, and comes out best in that setting. And I'm not saying that everyone has to be a farmer, but I do think there's real value in every one of us having our hands in the dirt. You know, just... <clears throat> so... Um, And I, I mentioned that the, the seen world teaches us about the unseen. I just want to read something from Christ's Object Lessons. That we might become acquainted with his divine character in life, Christ took our nature and dwelt among us. Divinity was revealed in humanity, the invisible glory in the visible human form. Men could learn of the unknown through the known. Heavenly things were revealed through the earthly. God was made manifest in the likeness of men. So it was in Christ's teaching, the unknown was illustrated by the known, divine truths by earthly things, with which the people were most familiar. Natural things were the medium for the spiritual. The things of nature and life experiences of his hearers were connected with the truths of the written word. Leading thus from the natural to the spiritual kingdom, God's parables are links in the chain of truth that unites man with God and earth with heaven. In their original perfection, all created things were, are, were an expression of the thought of God. To Adam and Eve in their Eden home, 
nature was full of the knowledge of God. Wisdom spoke to the eye and was received into the heart, where they communed with God in his created works. When the Lord was training Israel in the special, to be the special representatives of himself, he gave them homes among the hills and valleys. In their home life and their religious service, they were brought into constant contact with nature and the word of God. So Christ taught his disciples by the lake, on the mountainside, in the fields and groves, where they could look upon the things of nature by which he illustrated his teaching. So through the creation, we are to become acquainted with the creator. So through the creation, we become acquainted with God. And that, um, we, we, do need, we do need scripture to guide us also. We have to have it balanced because you know, there are a lot of nature religions out there that got it wrong. You know, animism and New Age spirituality and, and all, they're, they're only looking to nature without the word of God and they get off course doing that. But, but both of them together, it's like, you know, you have, you have, if you have a point of truth, which is nature, you can, you can look at it this way or you, you can look at it this way and, and innumerable other ways. But if you have another point of truth, the word of God, there's only one way that you can view both. You see that? So if we have, if we have both of them, we, we can line, if we can line them up, then we know that we can be certain that we have truth when it's lined up with both. Line of truth. Pardon? Line of truth. It's a line of truth, yeah. Okay, so um, I want to talk about planning your garden. Um, there are a lot of things that that we want to think about if you're if you're choosing a garden site. Now, some of you already have garden sites, and I don't know. Is anyone here? not have a garden site that you know that you're just thinking okay so i'm just going to go over a number of um things to think about in choosing a garden site and um i just want to be clear from the beginning um i don't think anyone anywhere has all of these criteria lined up perfectly because it you know that kind of place doesn't exist so you do you do your best with what you what you can work out, but there, it is good to be able to think about these things. Of course, one thing is soil. We're going to talk um, this afternoon, I think, about about soil more. But you know, it's obvious we, we want to have good soil. Um, but I have I have heard stories of people who who develop beautiful gardens in rock quarries. You know it. it you you can do it. Yeah, it was it was a place of poor soil. Yeah, and so you know it's going to take more effort. That's clear, but it but it can be done. Um, the the next is is water, um, and that, I think that's pretty obvious too. But you know if you can get water nearby your garden spot, that's, that's going to be such an advantage. Uh, 
you know, to de particularly for a home garden spot, it, to, to depend on rain for that is... Um, unless, <laughs> yeah, unless you happen to live in a place that has plenty of rain year-round. Um, a third, a third thing is, is sunlight. And Brett mentioned his, his place has a lot of trees around it, so particularly in wintertime, um, sunlight can be an issue. And I, I think that's, for, for most people, that is the time of year that, that sunlight could be an issue. You know, in the, in the summertime, you're out there and, you know, there's plenty of sun, you don't think about it. But, but come back in the wintertime, that place might be shaded, you know, it, because the, the shadows are longer. Um, so that's something to think about, particularly if you want to, to winter garden. And I, I want to say that in Tennessee, we have a, I, w I was looking at the, um, what do you call them? The, the climate zone maps for, for Australia and trying to compare, you know, with us. And the, there, I, I found a climate zone here in Australia that compares to us, you know, we're in Tennessee, which is, for, for the United States, it's a fairly moderate climate. You know, we get cold, but it's not that cold. Um, I mean, we, when I say we get cold, we, we will on occasion, you know, every, every few years, actually get down to, single digits Fahrenheit, which is, you know, way below centigrade. Um, but, it's, but it's usually for, for a night or two, and, and that's it. And most of the time, for most of the winter, when, it, when we are freezing at night, we're, we're above freezing in the day. Um, on occasion, we'll stay below freezing all day long. But that, that's, and, and that, that will normally happen every winter, but it's not, it's not extended periods. Um, that it is, that is, when I looked at the climate zone map, that is, is just a couple small areas, you know, in the tops of the mountains where, where you are equivalent to us. So I thought, wow, you know, most of this country is is the equivalent of of you know the the Mexican Gulf and yeah California and Florida you know and beyond so warmer so um, but I, what I what I wanted to say is that we are growing right through the winter w without heated um, structures so it, you know if we can do that then anyone in Australia can do that. And you can have fresh food right through the winter, um, quite easily. I mean, it's where our, our, the technology we're using is very simple, and it's it's low tech, low cost. Um, and anyone can do it. So, and that's his methods. Pardon? That's his methods. That's God's methods. Yeah. Cost achievable to everybody. Yes. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So. Um, Another, another thing to consider when you're choosing a garden site is orientation. That is, which, which direction is the land facing? Um, so if, and you know, that, which direction the land is sloping 
is going to have an effect on, on, on the light that it gets and, and the heat that it has. So if you, if you have a, a south-facing slope um, here, it's going to be cold, colder, much colder than, than a north-facing slope. You know, for us, it's the other way around. And, and there are places um, in, in, in America, I, where I grew up in Southern California, the, the, if you had a ridge that was running east and west, the north side would be full of large trees and, and, and very green and, and rich growth. The south side was brush. You know? And it was just a clear line right down the ridge. So, you know, the, the, the orientation can really make a difference. Um, and, and that orientation, you, you, both sides can be an advantage. Um, particularly, the closer you, the, you are towards the equator, the, um, well, the, the less of a, a difference you're going to see, actually, because the sun's right overhead. But maybe the more, you know, the hotter you are, maybe the more advantage you would have on a, on a south-facing slope than a north-facing slope. But when, you know, when, you're, when you're colder, you're going to have more advantage on the south-facing, I mean the north-facing slope. Keep, I have to keep that straight. <laughs> um, so, um, but, you know, for, for us, while we, we, for our winter gardening, it's really nice to have a south-facing slope. Um, the the old-timers in our area actually plant their fruit trees on a north-facing slope. And, and the reason for that is that the, that, that cooler climate delays budding. And, you know, we, like John said, we often have hard, you know, late frosts in the spring. And so if budding is delayed, that can be an advantage. You know, they'll, they'll be less likely to be bit by the frost. So th there's a lot of things to think about in that. And, and, and microclimates, you know, you can, you know, you might be in a place that has a, a certain climate in general, but, but there can be small microclimates, and you can even create microclimates that are, that are warmer or cooler, um, that sort of thing. Um, so generally, the, for you, it would be the, The, the north-facing slope would be warmest. The, the west-facing slope would be next warmest. The east-facing, the next. And the, the south-facing would be the coldest. That's, that's the way it generally works. So um, the third thing is, or, or it's not the third, it's the fourth or fifth. Uh-oh hand these out afterwards. The, the next thing is accessibility. It's, it's really important to be able to access your garden easily. Um, and not just you walking, but a, a wheelbarrow, even ideally uh, a pickup truck or you know, something so that you can easily unload amendments or, or, or pick up produce and, and things like that. So accessibility is, a, is something to keep in mind. Um, Another thing that people don't always think about, but it, it really is significant, and that is proximity to your house. 
the closer you can have it to your house, the better. I, I just can't emphasize that. <laughs> um, we have a saying, out of sight, out of mind. It really is true. <laughs> and so, so the ideal is to, is to the, you know, in, in, in gardening and farming, there are some things that, that you need to access regularly. You want that closest to you. So that's your, your kitchen garden, your herbs, you know, yeah, the things that, that you want easy, regular access to. And then you have concentric rings out from there. You know, your, your potato field or your squash field could be a little further out because that's kind of a one-off thing. You're not out there as much. And, and, and your fruit trees also, you know, they could be a little further out because you're, you're not out there as much. But so you can think of it in, in concentric rings of, of use, uh, the ones that you're accessing more often, keep them closer. The ones that you access less, put them further out. Um, but the closer you can keep all of them to your house, you know, the, to me, the ideal farm would be, would be an acreage with, with the house in the center and then your, <laughs> your fields around it. You know, that, that never happens hardly, but that, that's nice. <clears throat> okay, I, I already mentioned something about microclimates. So another thing that I should mention is air drainage. Um, where we live, um, our house, we're, our, we're on undulating land also, and our house is about 100 feet, no, it's about 150 feet above where we have our fields. And um, our fields are actually in what we call a frost pocket. And, and they can, in the wintertime, especially on a clear night, um, our fields can be 10 degrees colder than where our house is. It's a, it's a very significant difference. See, if you, if you walk up to the house in the wintertime, it, you, 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 it's cold and, and you pass a, a place where all of a sudden you're warm. You know, it's, it's, it's quite a difference. So, um, you know, air drains like water does. And, and it can be stopped by, by trees. Um, it can be dammed up by trees and, uh, or, or, you know, land formations, things like that. So, you know, it's the little valleys that tend to catch the cold air. And um, okay, another, another thing to con just to consider when you're choosing growing spots is what you're going to grow. I, I kind of mentioned that in proximity to the house, but there might be other things. Well, like, you know, I, I mentioned we... We like to grow trees on north slopes. For you, it would be south slopes because they, they tend to um, flower later. But um, think about what you're going to grow in the place that you're developing and, and the size of what you're going to be growing and, and how much you want to, to grow. So these are all considerations. Um, So, and as I said, just keep in mind that nobody is probably ever going to get all of these criteria lined up. You know, that's, that would be heaven. 
Um, so on our on our farm, our fields are my fields are about half a mile from my home. So I I'm speaking from my experience when I talk about having it close. Um, and they're they're down lower than the house. So you know when we're when we're watching the weather, we have to take into consideration this temperature difference. That temperature difference isn't always there. When it's, when it's overcast, we tend to be the same temperature both places. It's only the clear nights that are really cold. Um, we, so our, where, where my brother John, my, my fields face south, but his fields face north and he's growing in the winter on them. You know, so you, you, know, you, you can't choose everything. And, and we're both growing in a, in a frost pocket and, and we're trying to grow through the winter, you know, we're, but we're doing it, you know. This makes it very easy for us, you're a boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are both yeah. of you in the same area? We're, we live on the same farm, but I have, I have, we're, we're in a valley and um, the main farm is, is on one, half of the one side of the valley, it's on the north side of the valley, and, and my land is on the south side, the, the valley runs east and west, and my land's on the south side. So we have, a, we have a lot of water on the north side. I don't have any water on my side. Yeah, so we, we pipe it across. But, yeah. um, the, the, the farm was bought by my dad and he bought about 200 acres, and he sold some, roughly. So we, we have about probably 160, 70 acres, something like that. But then in addition, I bought 50 acres across, right across, it came up for sale right across, and so I bought that. And so that's my Is it all mapped down area, or is it rural? No, it's, it's rural cattle raising. You know, most of the... Farmers around us raise raise cattle and 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 hay. That's it's it's not a it's not a big agriculture area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I grew up in California, which is you know that's big agriculture. And in the Willamette Valley in Oregon, we lived there for a few years. That's I mean that's they grow everything there. It's amazing. And so. It's like out to Wolverine, um, that's like a big growing red dirt, yeah. flatlands. Yeah. yeah, we're not in a, a big agriculture area. Um, so, what time is it? Okay, we've got just a few more minutes. Okay, I'm going to talk about, I wonder if there's something I can voice this with. Okay, um, I want to talk, talk about beds versus rows. You know, a lot of, I mean, traditional farming and gardening is done in rows. So you have a, a row, you know, with your plants 
down the road. And then you have a file in another row with more plants. Um, what, what we are promoting is, is growing in beds. Now I'll tell you why why growing in rows was done. Yeah, um, it's because of, of cultivation. Um, either either with horses or with tractors, you can you can cultivate. It gives you space to cultivate between the between the plants, and so you can you can do a larger acreage more easily growing this way. But you know we're talking about home gardening, and and in fact, this is what we do on our farm. Uh, I mean we 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 have that 200 acres or so, but we. We are not farming more than five or six acres. You know, the rest is, is hills and woodland and, and fields, but we're not growing on it. So we're, we're, we're even on our farm, we're using a bed method. But um, the idea of a bed is, and there, there have, you know, a number of people have, have been doing this for some time. Our, we have we have a number of farmers that we look to for for ideas and, and advice. The, one is Elliot Coleman. He's he he grows on the coast of Maine, which you know is, is far in the northeast of, of the U.S. He he grows year round um, using the same technologies we use. He's he's the one that pioneered this method of, of growing through the, the winter with low tech and low uh, low-cost, simple systems. And, um, and then there's another guy, um, uh, John Martin in, in Canada. He's a, he's a younger guy. He, he took what Elliot Coleman did and he's gone even further. And so he's, he's in, um, in Montreal but he, or in, in Quebec, right, right above Vermont. And he's not growing through the winter, but he's, he's, he's starting early in the spring because he's, he's colder than Elliot Coleman is even. But he's starting early in the spring and going through late through the fall. And um, anyways, the, the idea of growing in beds is that you can, you can get more, more plants in, in per square foot than you could in rows. Does that make sense? So you can have a plants like this in your bed and um, you can have a, a lot more plants per square foot. And another, another reason for growing in a bed is that these plants, you, you space the plants so that by the time they're about two-thirds grown, they are completely covering, the, their leaves are completely covering the bed. So using this, this method, we usually, we cultivate once or twice, and then we don't need to do it anymore because the, the plants are shading out the weeds. Um, so, 
what we've what we've come up with is is a 30-inch bed that's 30 inch wide. Now you you know you could there are people who, who use three foot that's two and a half feet. People who use a three foot bed. Some people use a four foot bed. Um, I mean you can make your bed as wide as you want, but there are a lot of advantages to, to a 30 inch bed. <laughs> one is one is that um, you can you can straddle it easily. And that's that's really nice for for harvesting or transplanting into you can just you know work like that, or you can you can be you know on one side of it and you can reach across to the other side. You can you can step across it. You don't have to go all the way around. You know we the the bed is a no step zone. <laughs> you know that's that's the ground you're working and you don't want to be walking on it or stepping on it. But it, you know, I've, we, we've, we've done some work with four-foot beds, and I can, I can tell you, you, you end up stepping in it. It's just impractical to not step in it. So, um, but this one, you know, the only time you step in this is when you lose your balance or something. <laughs> so, um, what, we, what we do is, is we, we have... We have a 12 inch or 18 inch um, aisle. We, we use a 12 inch aisle inside our hoop houses because that's prime real estate. You know, we've, we've paid, you know, for us a lot of money <laughs> to, to get that. It's a simple hoop house with a single plastic. And, and so we're wanting to put as much in there as we can. I'll, I'll tell you, a, a one-foot aisle is, it's not easy to get used to. I mean, you can eventually get used to it and, 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 and work in it, but, um, you know, if you're standing facing the bed in the aisle, you know, your, your toes are on one bed and your heels are on the other. But the, the, the real issue comes when you're, when you're squatting down. Where does this get, go? <laughs> you, know, you, you end up you end up sitting on your on your plants in the other bed. So um, when we're when we're outside, we, we we've kept this for our hoop houses still. But for, when we're outside, we, we do an 18 inch aisle, and it's it's just more reasonable to work with. Another another really good reason for for doing a 30 inch bed, which um, you know, from what I understand, maybe is not quite so relevant yet here, but there, there are more and more tools being developed for a 30-inch bed. And um, we have a, a number of things like that available to us in the U.S. And I, I think that you're going to be getting some of those things here. I, I know that... Um, Rod Bailey has actually imported a bunch of tools, and so there are going to be some things there that that are um, specific for a 30-inch bed or, or ideal for a 30-inch bed. It seems I'm running on tracks and actually can't work on some water. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know what that costs, but <laughs> robotic. Right, right, right. 
No, I'm, I'm not thinking of tools like that. I'm thinking of hand tools. <laughs> These are things that are affordable to you. So, but it's true. They, I mean, they, they are doing things like that. Um, Okay, yeah, the one other the one other thing that I want to just touch on is is the idea of standardization. Um, we found that it is is really helpful to standardize your your garden plots. So for example, if you can you know not only make all of your beds 30 inches wide, but also choose a standard length that you're going to have them. Um, it's, it's helpful for a lot of things. Number one, it's helpful for calculations. Because once you, you, can, you can calculate how many square feet are in a bed, and, and, and then you know, a lot of your amendments and things that you are, or, or pesticides, you know, things that you're putting on your garden are you know, so much per X number of square feet or X number of acres. And you can do those calculations for, for one bed or, or a block of beds, and, and then you've got it. You know, you don't have to do calculations every time you're going to apply something. So um, standardization is very helpful. One, one standardized thing we have come up with, you know, for a, a larger scale is um, the 30-inch bed, 100 feet long. Um, and, and 10 of those beds in a block, that's, that's one-tenth of an acre. And so we, you know, that makes calculations easy. Um, but, you know, you can, you don't have to, uh, although I really highly recommend a 30-inch bed, um, you know, the length can be whatever you want. We've had 340-foot long beds. Um, I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily recommend that. <laughs> you know, you can you can do whatever you like, but um, it is really helpful. The other the other thing that that's helpful about having standardized beds is um, for you know, like if you're using drip tape for irrigation or or any kind of irrigation system, you can you can set what you need for, you know, like for us, for the 100-foot bed, and, and then you can use that same thing on, on all your other beds. So you don't have to have um, an individual setup for every, every place. You, you, you've got one thing that can be used anywhere. And the same with um, floating row covers is what one of the things we use to protect plants in the wintertime. Again, you've got a standard size that you're working with. Um, there are, we use silage tarps and oh, I, I was talking to Rod about something we call landscape fabric and he said you've got a different name for it. Um, it's, it's a textile, textile yeah, it's a, a black woven, yeah, geotextile. It's, it's a black woven fabric often with, with lines every foot or 
something like that. Oh yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. That, that's the yeah, that's a spun bonded fabric. It's not a woven fabric. But this is a I'm sure you've seen it because Rod it's a Well this this one they use but I, I'm talking about the one I'm calling a landscape fabric. It's a weed barrier. Yeah, it's it's a black woven uh, oh, they just call it weed mesh. Okay, yeah. that, that, yeah. You're talking for No, on the ground. Yeah. yeah. We just call it weed mesh. Yeah, just weed mesh. Okay, so weed mesh. So we, we, we weed use mesh. weed mesh and um, silage tarps. And I'll be talking about the applications for those things later. But, you know, having, having all of these things in standard lengths is just really helpful. So you don't have to have, you know, you know, storing them, it's, it's really hard when you, you know, you have, you have some beds 100 foot long and others that are 50 feet long. And, you know, when you, when you roll them up, you can't always tell the difference, you know. And, and the only way you can know which is which is to unroll it. You don't want to do that. <laughs> so, you know, having, having a standard size is, is really helpful for a lot of reasons. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.